0: Hello everyone, this is The Freelancers Show and today we have a special guest, Jason Montoya.
1: Hello, good to meet you. <laughs>
0: and I'm Petra and we've also got Joel Shelbert here today. Hi hey everybody, and this is Joel. Sorry, I just completely cut you off then Joel, that was so rude of me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so today we're going to be talking about uh, freelancing in the midst of the pandemic and the type of pivots that people have had to make.
2: When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call to help me find a developer who can build it. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile developers that you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to g2i.co to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2I has linked me up with experienced engineers that can fit my budget. And the G2I staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to g2i.co to learn more about G2I.
0: So Jason, would you mind letting us know a little bit about what you do and uh, how you are able to talk about this topic?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it and look forward to sharing. Um, again, my name is Jason Scott Montoya. Um, uh, you know, I'm actually from Arizona in the United States and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia um, when I was 20, so about which, ended up, which was about 15 years ago in 2005, me and my wife. We got married, went on our honeymoon. The day we got back from Hawaii, we packed up everything and moved across the country to Atlanta, pursue our ambitions and uh, various dreams. Had a marketing company from 2007 to 2014, ended up shutting that down. Um, as I shut it down, I didn't know what I was gonna do next, but at, at, through that transition process, free, freelancing found me. And I decided to reciprocate that relationship and I said, I'll, I'll take it. So, um, I leaned into freelancing in 2014 and, uh, really figured out, you know, w- who I was, what I was going to offer and, and, and then in 2015 really figure out how to master that, uh, freelancing as a vocation. So I ended up, um, you know, uh, taking the business lessons I learned in my company that I, that I shut down and applying them to the freelancing and I became successful at that. And other freelancers started asking me, well, how, how are you successful? How are you navigating these different challenges? And so from there, um, you know, I started coaching other freelancers. They said, you should write a book. So in 2017, I published my first book called path of the freelancer, an actionable guide to flourishing and freelancing, which traverses eight, um, different, um, uh, achievements that freelancers need to both, you know, sustain um, in their craft to be successful, and uh, and recently as these crises, you know, the the economic most specifically has affected freelancers and myself. I've realized that to be successful as a freelancer means we have to expect a crisis around every corner, and by doing that, we actually are quite prepared. Hopefully for the for the big crisis that we're now all facing. So that's, uh, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. There's obviously a lot more to it. I specifically work in the B2B marketing space, um, working with businesses, small businesses between five and 50 people, um, e commerce, B2B, um, some tend to be in the training or um, technology sectors. And I essentially help them, um, you know, grow their, their audience. So track more visitors to their website, convert those visitors to leads, nurture those leads and the customers and turn those customers into loyal customers. So, um, and I do that through a variety of content marketing, content library building and optimization. And, uh, and that's of a little bit of me and, and my, uh, I'm, I'm, I am married. Like I mentioned, I have five kids between the ages of one and um, 11, if I, if I hopefully got the numbers right there. Um, and so it's a, uh, an adventure, um, with that many kids, especially now that we're all, uh, you know, sheltering in place. So
0: I was about to say, you've had a really busy six years in terms of your business life and now that you've said how many kids you've got I'm thinking you've really had a busy last <laughs> yes, few years. <laughs> it's totally crazy. I've I've
1: uh, got a lot a lot more going on than I should have I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was thinking as well when you when you've written a book on the topic uh, all of a sudden everyone thinks you're the expert and I'm sure you are an expert but then all of a sudden coronavirus hits and you probably have a few new books in you now. <laughs> yeah yeah. For sure. Now all of a sudden you've learned a whole lot of things that might not have been there when you wrote your first book I mean how, how have you found that have you have you suddenly got a whole lot of new ideas for your well, books well interesting um you know I think what's what, what I
1: would say to that is you know principles um at the core have a way of transcending the circumstances that we go through And so principally speaking, I think a lot of that seems to still apply, but, but to your point, what's probably most applicable is, is the stories and the experiences and, and even the perspective, maybe a richer perspective of those principles in action in certain contexts. So, um, so I think that's probably, I have a lot more um, content to kind of, to wrap around those principles than I did before the crisis. And there is, you know, you know, there's a lot of challenges and and negatives with the whole situation, but, but there is a lot of learning to just, even in just watching what's happening, how people, how people react, how they respond, what they do or don't do. And, um, and so that's, um, you know, it's one thing to have a kind of a theory or a, or a hypothesis and kind of test that out, but to see it kind of lived out on stage in a global sense is is a whole nother a whole nother layer of, of learning, I think. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. (laughs)
0: Uh, Definitely. Well, it's, it's incredible how many, and we're going to be talking about pivoting today, but it's incredible how many changes people are having to make and so rapidly as well. And I'm actually reading a book at the moment by Dan Kennedy. It's no BS management, and something or other. Sorry, okay. Dad. <laughs> okay. I'll have to bring it up. I'll I'll bring it up and I'll put the link in the show. Yeah, notes. yeah. And um, I'm just up to this part at the moment where he says the most dangerous, um, the the most dangerous number in business is one because if you have one of anything, then you could be in a situation where if you've got one team member that does a critical skill, mm. for example, if that person leaves then all of a sudden you've got to scramble to replace that person. If you've got one distribution strategy, then if some crisis occurs, mm-hmm. then you need to find a new way of distributing. If you've got one marketing platform, again, if that marketing platform shuts down or they shut you down, yeah. then then you're, you're in, a, in a trouble. So um, when it comes to this coronavirus, I think that coronavirus will have caught out a lot of, small businesses especially but also large ones Mm -hmm. who because they were small they only had one of something Mm -hmm. and I think that would have caught them out so I'm interested to hear about some of the pivots that you've been through or that some of your clients have been through since the, the coronavirus has started and how um, just how that, that occurred. Like do, if you've got a little bit of, yeah, a yeah, yeah. So, or, um,
1: yeah, definitely. So they're kind of the, there's the one thing and then there's the the pivot. And so let me talk about the one thing first, cause I, def- I very much agree with you. And, um, and, and that's the interesting thing that I, I think the opportunity for freelancers right now is that we tend, to, uh, in most cases, freelancers tend to have multiple clients as an example. And, um, someone who's employed by a traditional employer, if they get fired, they lose all their income. But if I lose a client in this situation, I only lose a portion of my income, assuming i 've got multiple clients and so I, I faced that early on in the in the pandemic was I actually had a client that was affected by it actually early in January because they were um, they had stuff that they shipped in from China. And that affected, you know, their supply chain, and and that affected their their operations. And so, I had a client on the front end where I, I kind of knew something was happening here, um, although I couldn't have known to what degree. It was more of a just a small at the time, just seemed like a small disruption. And then then another client, you know, fell off, and and all of a sudden, you know, two or three thousand dollars worth of my income is in, on a monthly basis is now gone. But because I had, you know, about a dozen clients, it it was a portion of my income, but it wasn't, it wasn't crippling. It it was just something that a challenge that I had to overcome. And with other financial buffers that I had created before that, um, it also gave me additional margin to lean into. So I definitely, um, I definitely love the idea of that you're describing in terms of the one. I also think about um, one of the things that I do in my freelancing is I limit the amount of Work that any one client can do with me, so I won't let one client do more than about forty percent of my total income. And if they hit that, then I'm 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 capping them. So even if they want to use more of me, I I'll say no, or you know, let's find another freelancer to help with these things that that I don't either have the capacity or maybe they're not my specialty. And um, and so that's one of the things that I've done to protect myself from essentially getting a client that does want to work with me and be that one, but I don't want, I don't want that risk that comes with it. So, so that's uh, the one side of it on the pivot side, uh, because it started to affect me right away, as I imagine it did everyone. Um, there are a couple of things I did right away because I didn't know um, how this was going to unfold. And, and all of a sudden I had a couple clients that I was losing. And so I had a little bit of extra time and that's where I, I actually Um, launched um, more formally my podcast. So I have a podcast called Grow Your Life where I share systems and stories um, to work better and live smarter. And I had actually planned to launch that next year and because of this, I was like, well, I probably could have a lot more time on my hands. So I better launch this now. So I did that. And it, a lot of it is uh, interv- I'm interviewing other people through that, um, and, and they're sharing their their stories and systems. I also put together a webinar on freelancing in the pandemic. I put together a webinar. I, have a, I wrote a second book, which I published. Um, and uh, last year, and it's for small business owners. And so I did another webinar, you know, how to, as a small business owner, how to navigate the situation. And so I put those out there and my, my next step was, all right, I'm going to put together some courses and you know, I essentially was going to build an online business if I needed to. Um, and my business, I had a little bit of drop off, but then I also had some stuff picked back up. And so um, I didn't necessarily have the the cliff that I was expecting, but it did help me to start to create some things that, that I probably would have eventually done, but, but accelerated the process. Um, So that's an example for me. I have a client who um, in the e-commerce space, who, who sells a lot of network infrastructure and um, you know, cabling and wiring. And um, a lot of that stuff is for, for businesses, you know, in a large building, you know, you have a large building and they need, you know, fiber run and all this stuff. And all of a sudden everyone's working from home. And so they're having to adapt their business. And so they started to uh, to produce um, safety supplies, you know, masks and sanitizers and and trying to get that stuff when it, you know, when it wasn't available. And so now you have this company that's selling what they normally sell. And then they have this whole other thing that has almost nothing to do with, with it, but that their customers still need. And they're trying to balance that. I have another client that... Um, was working um, that works um, with businesses to augment them, essentially an outsourced financial department, so virtual CFO and accounting and back office, and they use some some cloud-based software, ERP software. And what was happening with uh, with the uh, the crisis was the government, the federal government in America passed you know the CARES Act, which provided um, these loans for small businesses that could be forgivable if they used it in certain ways. And so we put together a program um, that essentially we would they were going to help companies apply for that funding and then also track the, the expenses and how they were sent so that when it came to the giving it, getting it forgiven, um, they, could, um, they would be more likely to get it uh, uh, forgiven and, and they would have everything ready to go. So if the bank or, or the SBA or the government had any questions, they could answer those. So, so we had to launch this. This pro- this product, and then create a landing page, and create some email workflows to automate, you know, the scheduling of these appointments, and then the follow up, and and all of this stuff. So set up ads, Google ads, you know, um, all the social media and whatnot. But and and there are other examples that I could share, but those are that's you know some ways that I've had to pivot, and then a couple that my clients have had, and and uh, there's definitely a lot more to it than than what I've said, but but that kind of gives you an idea. <laughs>
0: it's actually been a huge opportunity in many ways because the businesses that have had a downturn in their business have had to start marketing and really think about their marketing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes marketing can take a little bit of a pause or go on the back seat when, when businesses just hit yeah. capacity and the operational troubles start to you know, become more important, I guess, because once you've got, the number of customers that you want then all of a sudden you've got to deliver all the services or deliver the Mm -hmm. products um so it's it's interesting all the businesses that have had a downturn have had to pivot their marketing like you've said and there's I think there's been a a real resurgence of activity in in the content marketing space Mm -hmm. but then also um like new courses and new offerings and like I've had clients that have done the same. They were in a service business that had been shut down because they had to have contact with people and yeah. they've gone out and created courses or they've created ways to do it through Zoom and there's been a plethora of new Zoom type <laughs> services like marketing, um, yeah. uh, networking services and things like that. It's been really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's been other people that have been Writing and selling podcasts and, and things too, like you described. Or yeah, that,
1: and I there might be
0: a whole lot of books coming out next <laughs> year. All the people yes. that have been writing books.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, it, it gives people margin. So if if things did slow down and you didn't necessarily pick that back up on a client side, then it does give you the opportunity to create a course, write a book, blog. You know, um, I've also seen with some of my clients that there are things I've been telling them to do for a while in terms of their marketing and messaging and. And, and, you know, things are what they are and they're busy and what it is, but now they're going, maybe we should do those things that you've been telling us to do for a while. And now we can do them. And so there's definitely an opportunity to lean into that, to, to kind of do things that were maybe neglected, to accelerate things that were already in the pipeline. Um, and so that's exciting because there's just a lot of new opportunities in a lot of ways. It feels like there is a you know, I kind of imagine the the race has sort of been reset and everyone's at the starting line. So everyone gets a chance to sort of, what are you going to do with that opportunity where, where there's been this giant reset and how are you going to unfold? So th- those are, I definitely agree with that and, and appreciate uh, that point of view.
0: I found it kind of fun actually. I've, I've gone through periods of staring <laughs> at my screen, wondering what Am I going to do now? And <laughs> then, excitement and of, paralysis. <laughs> yay! Let's just get things done. <laughs> yeah. So because I made the mistake of um, having one big client. Mm. I had a. I, I didn't think that it was going to end up being so much of my business, but at the same time, what I found was that operationally, see, I had I had a client that had. 20 different there were an umbrella client and they had 20 different clients under the one roof. Okay. Or more actually. Um, okay more than that.
1: So you were it was you were working with the different groups with, under the big one?
0: Yeah, so I was working with the main group but I was essentially working for each of those okay. um you know 20 or 25 yeah. or however many there were um businesses but I was dealing with the main group. Mm-hmm. So then because they acted as a block, yeah. Essentially that meant that I lost all of my business overnight. Oh wow. And it so that was definitely a mistake because I I was a sucker for that problem of one. Mm. And at the time, it was the right thing for me to do because it really helped me build my business in that I needed that cash flow to help accelerate my business, but it's not something that you want to have long term where you've got one Mm -hmm. core client because if any kind of economic change or um, sociological change or just, they don't like you anymore or whatever it (laughs) might be, all of a sudden all of your business has gone overnight. So it's not a good place to be. But it, what
1: it probably actually, it, it probably is something we all have to learn. You know, I, the reason I, yeah. I feel that is because I've gone through what you're describing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and what I found actually was when I had the one big client, that client took up so much extra of my time hmm. that then I wasn't able to invest the time into finding new clients, and so at the yeah. back of my head. I knew that this was a problem and so I'd be saying, oh, I need more clients, I need more clients. And it would be this kind of persistent worry. Yeah. But it just wasn't happening. Hmm. And then when when that client had to pause, then all of a sudden this new activity turned out to be the most exciting time because yeah. since then, over the last um, three months, I have literally brought on, 13 new clients wow so i pretty much replaced that business yeah, <laughs> yeah thank yeah. you and
1: it's now diversified which is awesome i know it's
0: now <laughs> diversified so and and i even got to the point where that large client um has been asking me to lower the price and yeah. i've been able to turn around and say well actually that's not suitable for me in fact i'm going whereas, i'm going up <laughs> i'm going up this yeah. time <laughs> yeah that's right whereas you know back A year ago, I I probably wouldn't have accepted a a really low price, but at the same time, I would have done whatever I could to make them happy. Yeah,
2: that's
3: kind of a classic thing with like having a big client like that is over time, you tend to like be able to do that work and get paid well for it, and you get more intertwined and you learn more and more. So they see you're useful, maybe pass you a little more work because big companies, big clients, there's always almost infinite amount of work to do and then it reaches this almost like tipping point where it's in your head you're wrapped up Mm -hmm. anticipating what their next problem might be or what you can do and that's really useful for them that really helps them and it helps you be like you know a good provider to them But at that point I know what you're talking about you get to that point and it's hard to then realize oh I still have my own company that's going to need marketing and new clients in the future and it's so easy once you kind of hit that threshold of you're really engaged and thinking about them all the time to like back and remember other things you still need to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is interesting because there's, there's that benefit, you know, it's the risk and and the opportunity. Um, but having that kind of that mindset of looking for opportunities for improvement and that, you know, this idea that I think a lot of times pre do these one-time projects and we should be thinking about how do we turn that one-time project into an ongoing engagement. Which is very much what you're describing. But at the same time, we get more entrenched with them. And and if we get too entrenched, then it, it can it can cost us like like it did with you, Petra. So
0: well, the other thing is I had I had my clients on a month to month basis when when coronavirus hit. And so it was very easy for clients to pull out. But the new clients that I've brought on, I've been offering them month to month if they pay an upfront fee. Yeah. Um, or can take a six month Mm. term so they've got one choice or the other and having a setup fee which to be honest I think is perfectly fair because that setup fee that setup work still needs to be done and if they were to pull out after a month I'd be um you You, you don't want to have to yeah you want to be
1: compensated for your for your time yeah
0: that's right yeah so you've got a choice of month to month but you're gonna pay this setup fee or six month term and every person has picked the six month term. So sometimes I think as freelancers, we tend to be a little bit too cautious about, Oh, what if people aren't going to like it? Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And we actually downsell ourselves. But if you actually offered the thing, (laughs) it might actually be what people want. So that was a big pivot for me. That was actually, I hadn't offered six month terms at all. That was actually a big pivot for me. And it's only a pricing pivot, but still that made a big difference.
1: Well, and I think that's what's beautiful about freelancing is, you know, each situation like that, we learn a little bit something new and we apply it to our business and that makes our business a little stronger, a little better. And then we learn another thing, we apply it. And over time, our, we end up with a really strong business because we apply all these principles that are, that are timeless to, to our work. And, um, and that's where I think it's exciting and, and, both pro- and prosperous as a freelancer, because you know, the first few years of freelancing can be quite challenging um, to get it up and running and going. But once you get to that place where we're really um, able to sustain it and grow it, that's pretty exciting.
2: Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and over the last few years I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community, and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, One of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Claybo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET, and there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET-focused or Microsoft-focused podcasts for a while, and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at dot .NET is spelled out, D-O-T-N-E-T. adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today.
0: Have any of your clients had to change their service offering completely or sell, like, sell a different product?
1: Yeah, so like I mentioned with the e-commerce company, um, I mean, they went from selling this network infrastructure to, to safety supplies, you know, in in, in 30 days. Um, and you know, the, the owner isn't quite an entrepreneur, and he's probably going to you know end up launching a new business, you know, with a new brand under that, and and then then there'll be just two businesses, right? <laughs> so um, so um, so that was pretty dramatic. But the thing that what's interesting about that, and and I can share some other examples too, but. The, the one of the strengths of that business is really about supply chain, you know, pulling in supplies um, from overseas, having it made in different countries, you know, and and so they have those made and then they have them shipped in. The product itself is is almost doesn't matter. And so if they can if they can do the same thing for a different product to solve a, cert, a certain problem then then they're already skilled at that and so that allowed them to I think pivot a lot quicker than someone who didn't know any of that stuff that wanted to try and get into that business so they had a lot of the tools at their at their fingertips which was an interesting um thing I do have you know another client that worked with a lot of restaurants and the restaurants and the retail industry has been hammered and restaurants have are either closing or failing or having to just dramatically pivot and um and so that's that's been a challenge for them because well they've been targeting restaurants and now they can't. And so you know, they happen to have a couple other verticals they worked with to diversify their own their own business client base and that we could pivot towards. Um, but that that definitely um you know made it really challenging for them. So yeah, it's it's interesting just to see. Um, you know, how, how these things are affecting different businesses. I have a friend who works at a, at a company that helps fund, helps schools do fundraising events. So they're physical events at the schools. You now you've probably heard of things, you know, where they do a runathon and raise money for the school or what it might, whatever it might be. And so they have these really exciting events and they're having to reinvent their business because schools closed down and We don't even know how they're when or how they're going to open in the fall. And if they do, you know, what does that mean? And I imagine they're not going to be doing big events. So they're having to figure out how do they rebuild their business um, through an online model uh, that can help the schools raise funds because the schools and the kids in those schools still need the different um, support that that they were getting from, from those fundraisers. So that's, you know, another interesting example. Um, I don't know what, have, what, have you, uh, have you experienced any, any interesting stories on your own journey?
0: Yeah, I've got a, a similar one actually that I'm thinking of when you say that I met a woman the other week who she, she was selling local produce through large events where people were catching up and like sharing plates of food. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that business model didn't, wasn't really able to be launched. No. So she's had to make some substantial pivots towards an online model. Yeah. Which is really difficult when it comes to (laughs) sharing food. And I'm sure it's the same with these fun runs and things as well. Some, Well, Some businesses are easier to pivot than others.
1: Well, and I think what's really helpful for me and and your your friend's example with the food is one way to do this is think about what what are the underlying thing points of value. So, what is when you think about a restaurant, what is the value that they provide? Well, one is they provide a place for you to meet with somebody and to congregate and to facilitate. They also provide the value of collecting food, preparing that food, and and and, get, and delivering that food to you. So, if all these points of a value. So how could that translate? And, and, um, so I had, I had a, a freelancer I talked to a couple, about a month or two ago and and she was an audio engineer. So she helped with the recording of audio for movies and movies have stopped filming. And so she didn't have any work. Um, but she loved, you know, working with sound and music and, and, but she also had a heart for, um, um, for helping people. And so through that discussion, we kind of learned that uh, there there are um, a lot of funerals that are happening right now, but they're not, people aren't able to actually go to the funeral because of the social distancing. And so we talked about perhaps she could create a service to help bring um, this music and sound to create a, a digital memorial that people could enjoy and appreciate, but also mourn and, and process um, the death of their loved one. And so it's completely different than what she was doing but it's taking kind of the core pieces of what she loved and what she was good at and translating it to the new the new paradigm and i think that's what i've learned It's an is,
0: incredible pivot actually. i yeah, really yeah. like that one that's <laughs> fantastic it's it's the type of thing where 12 months ago you would have never thought that that's what you'd be doing
1: <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> but being able to use your skills in a way that's so powerful for people, and and quickly at that too. And one of the benefits we have as freelancers is that we can pivot quickly. We're not yeah. we're not so bogged down in standards and process and HR that we that it's so hard to turn the ship around. We can yes. just go.
1: I'm going to change today. Yeah, yeah. And I do. I I don't envy companies or larger companies, especially because they can't. They can't turn it's a big ship and it's hard to, to turn that. And sometimes, if you can't pivot quick enough or you can't pivot strong enough, um, it, it can mean that you, that you don't make that transition and that that can be very difficult. And so, I, I think as freelancers, we just have this wonderful opportunity to kind of reinvent ourselves if we want to. And, um, you know, I've asked, I've talked to a few freelancers where I said, you know, if you could. If you could do anything, like if you could be any, if you could choose any vocation, if you could be a different type of freelancer, you know, when you have a client, that one client or a lot of clients, we are a little bit trapped in the sense that you know, we have to serve them and take care of them. And so we don't necessarily have the luxury to pivot, but when you don't have that anymore, the question is, well, do you want to build the same thing or do you want to change it a little bit? And that was actually what happened halfway through my business, the marketing company I had for seven years, about halfway through it, I did get to that point where I said, okay, I've created this marketing company, it's been more reactionary, more reactive, more defined by clients and outsiders than me deciding what it is I wanted to create. So what's the marketing company? If I could start a marketing company from scratch, what would that look like? And so I, I pivoted the business. And, um, and then I, when I ended up shutting down the company, it was another pivot, which essentially came down to the question of if I could choose to do anything vocationally, would it be to create and sustain a marketing company? And, and I realized that my answer was no, and I had to go a different direction. And so, but when I did that, it, it felt like a death. Um, it was so, I was so emotionally wrapped up in the business you know so many successes and and losses along the way and emotions and that when I finally decided to shut it down it was it was it was emotionally devastating but it did I can imagine yeah it did create the context to to shift into this freelancing which has been prosperous for me and I have more flexibility I make more money I have less of the responsibility that I had in the business so it's kind of a win 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 um but I I couldn't have ever experienced that if I didn't make the pivot when it was scary when it was hard and and kind of let go of the things I was holding on to so tight
3: did you yeah, make this pivot kind of like of your own choice or does this pivot kind of like events bring it upon you? And like how did you keep your mental state where it needed to be? Like through through this? So in pandemic? terms of shutting down the business, you mean? Yeah, because people might be interested in stories like that right now, especially I imagine others are out there and sometimes maybe making a pivot they have some control over, or maybe making mm-hmm. pivots so that they don't really have control over right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So my second book, that it's called The Jump from Chaos to Clarity for Striving Small Business. Um, that I talk about, that's really the, the heart of the book is that pivot that I made Mm -hmm. and, um, the, the, there's a lot to it, but one of the things, um, the, in that year, the year before I shut down, I made a decision that I ended up working, collaborating with my team to participate in. I said, I don't know the future of our company, but I, I believe that we need to take a year to reflect on the future. And so we're going to kind of lean into this um, this vision nearing exercise to figure out what's next for us as a company and us as individuals. And so we did that. And about six months into the process, I realized that I was going to shut the company down. Um, and there was a lot of time of thinking and talking and and that, you know, when we're really busy, when we're working, when we're doing, doing, doing it, it can cloud our ability to just think and to process things and things that may even that we've already thought through, but haven't really um, processed through in a way that allows us to kind of get to a conclusion or get to a, an action or a belief. And so anyway, six months in, I realized I was going to shut it down. And I've I shared that with the team and, and we kind of work through that and, um, and, and then the emotion of it hit me and I went through about three months, um, of really severe emotional, uh, I would call it like a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I mean, I was having panic attacks. I was having anxiety, depression. Um, I mean, I was, I, I, I was on the point where people were saying, I think you should see a doctor, like something's not right. So it was, it was that severe in terms of my response to it. And part of it is, you know, they say when you, when you're about to die, your life flashes before your eyes. And, and while well, I wasn't about to die, there was a sense of like ending this thing, the whole journey I'd been on. And as an entrepreneur, it can be so challenging that all the emotions that I had probably bottled down or hadn't really fully realized or, or, um, worked out, were all coming to the surface. They were bubbling up and kind of like a volcano exploding. So, um, so I spent about three months and I just had, I had really good community around me and friendships and people that, that loved and cared, cared me for me through it uh, through a very confusing time. Um, And, and, and people saying and and doing things along the way that helped me stay, uh, you know, stay afloat through that, through that challenge. And, um, and then the last three months of that year um, when I transitioned from the business to freelancing, I I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew, I kind of imagined myself running a marathon, and at the end of that marathon, there was a crowd of people that were cheering me on to finish, and I couldn't finish alone, and but, but they could help me, um, encourage me to that, that finish line, and so I leaned into this idea of meeting with people, and I started meeting with people regularly, um, probably about a dozen, 10 people a week um, for three months before I finally shut down the company. And then it was in those three months that helped me get clarity on what was going to be next. And it also ended up being a, an opportunity to, to, to establish relationships with people that wanted to hire me. So they said, wait, before you go do whatever you're going to do next, could I hire you to help me with this problem or that problem? And, and I, and that's why that's what I meant by freelancing found me. So that's a little bit more details, but is that kind of what you were asking about? Or was there more something more specific you were thinking about when you asked that?
3: And that's just, that's a great story. I mean, just this idea of this is a really big change. And yeah. it's something that you were letting go of that you didn't want to. Because I'll, I'll guarantee there's lots of people in that situation right now. Yeah. Where they were pretty happy with how things were before this mm-hmm. crisis hit. Or at least, you know, they like the stability of a certain thing. Even if they didn't love every part of it. Yeah, And now this change came. And I like your story of this visualization, like a visualization technique of re- imagine running a marathon to this finish yeah. point. I mean, in, in some regards, you, you do need some sort of anchor to not just seem like you're in this endless sea of day after day without yeah. really any reference points. Mm-hmm. Even if you like kind of pick your own reference point or whatever. Um, was that sort of like the main... I guess, like uh technique you use to kind of keep yourself stable and bring yourself through to the other side?
1: Yeah. So um, a couple of things. Um, one of the things that I realized and, and part of what helped inform my decision about shutting the company down, that I think hits at what you're saying and then I can hit on it a little bit more. I knew that whatever I was going to do with my life, it was going to be hard. There's going to be, it's going to be, there's not an easy road we can take. Right. So, understanding that that work and life is hard even if it can be meaningful and productive and fruitful I don't want to put this hard work into something that I'm not 100% into so what is the thing that I'm 100% into you know like that was and I didn't necessarily have an answer to that at the moment I just knew it wasn't the thing I was doing and so that was enough to help me kind of let it go um, and you know, there, there's, you know, that just a lot that comes into that, that, I guess that process in terms of clarity after the fact, I went into the year, it was sort of this leap of faith. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the Sabbath, Um, but this, this idea, you know, in in the Hebrew scriptures, they talk about the Sabbath and uh, as a Christian growing up, that's something, you know, on a Sunday, you kind of honor it, but we don't quite fully understand it. But the idea of the Sabbath is this thing that that helps us to rest, to release, to let go and, and then to recover. Um, and, and that recovery helps to re-energize us for the for the next so on a week-to-week basis you take the sabbath one to to honor god and to honor um and to take that rest acknowledge that sort of a humble i'm um i'm not able you know i'm not a machine that can just run all the time i have to sort of accept my limitations and then the next week i'm prepared to kind of hit it hit the ground running And, and and so that translates on a larger level through life and seasons you know we go through a season and sometimes you know you do something long enough um you know often in my business if you've heard the the myth of sisyphus you know he's he's punished to to push the boulder up the mountain and then it comes down and he does it again and it comes down and so um that just it can kind of destroy your soul after a while and and um and and we need that that break from that relief from that to go okay this isn't working. I need to, I need to make a change. And, and perhaps a lot of times we should be proactively make that change. And and in this case I did. Um, I love the team that we had. I love the clients we worked with. I love the work we did. So shutting the company down um, was really hard because it was so like you were kind of alluding to, it was a good thing. Um, And we were even making money, you know, it, it, it wasn't like it was all bad. And I just, you know, in the earlier years, it was, was hard. But then we, we did a pivot to make it a better company. And so I actually ended up walking away from the better company than, than when I probably could have walked away from the, the more troublesome one. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. But that's a little more detail.
3: Yeah, definitely. Just just that story of that transition, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, to pivot a little bit now in the conversation. Yeah. Like fast forwarding more to like what you're seeing today. I have seen a lot of this. We talked about it with some people in the podcast about a lot of people do have a bit more time. And so you can put more time into marketing and, and kind of getting your other things in order. And I see some people who have less time because, you know, mm-hmm. knowing how to automate processes and do yeah. computer programming kind of tends to push people, can push people to a very busy point right now because people want help doing that for either of those cases. At some point we all expect like, you know, whether your curve is up or your curve is down at some point, things will probably start to normalize again. Yeah. Um, How are you seeing yourself and others as kind of also looking ahead and preparing for what things might look like? Because I imagine if you're doing a lot more marketing, you might have a lot more business than you had before when things normalize, possibly.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to this idea of just deciding now so when when that happens later, I, I can just act. And... Um, you know, talking about the the one, this idea that you get a client and then all of a sudden they're your only client and then all of a sudden they're all your income. Um, the same happens with work. And that's kind of what I experienced in my business is, you know, I went from and, and the idea of the Sabbath was I went from working, you know, during the week to then working on Saturdays to then working on Sundays, then to working like all the time and working every time. You know, I all of a sudden it was just I was always working. And I never had a boundary and I never enforced those boundaries. And so life and, and demands of life just continued to creep up. And it wasn't until I sort of like Gandalfed it and, you know, you shall not pass, you know, <laughs> these are my boundaries and you cannot pass them. And so um, as a freelancer, um, I have a start date, a start time and an end time every day and, um, and you know you can be a little flexible with that, but that's kind of my my boundaries, and I enforce those. And so, in the chaos, that's going to be pushed on from a variety of directions: our personal life, our work, you know, community, whatever it might be. And so, if the the thing that's nice about the boundaries, I might not be following my boundaries, but I feel the tension that I'm not following them. And so when I pivoted as the crisis unfolded, I started doing my podcast and I was doing all these episodes. Like I was expecting things to take a downturn and they did for a little bit, but then they took an upturn and I started to get more clients and I started to have clients to. And so all of a sudden I had a full workload and then I'm also doing this podcast and I'm doing like two or three episodes a week. I'm going, man, this is not sustainable. So I felt that tension. And so what I had to do is go, okay, I have to I have to move some stuff. My paid client work is is good, so I'm going to lean into that. And I'm going to shift my podcast to be once a week. And then I might even have to go less than that if if I need to. Um so I had to sort of recalibrate. You know, there we can, it's okay to have like a week or a month where things are out of whack. But I just have to use that tension to kind of get things back in order so that it doesn't break me down or break my family down or break something else down. Um, but if we don't have clarity on what those boundaries are, then when things do get chaotic, we won't know how to sort them out and how to, uh, to, to put them in their place. So does that answer your question? Was that helpful?
3: Yeah, you know, something I like about that idea. So um, basically you're talking about right now when things aren't so crazy is a really good chance to set boundaries because this really affects us, especially freelancers a lot. Yeah. It can happen to full-time people where there's demands put on you because there's a project deadline or something. But I think you have a little less control there. Whereas with freelancers, you hope you have control. But the problem for all of us as freelancers When you get in a situation where there's this big field of opportunity, it's easy to go crazy. I mean, more time is more Mm -hmm. success and more money. If I do a good job for more people, that's more referrals. It's easy to kind of lose sight of that. And the idea of setting some boundaries now makes sense. And what I like about one of the ways you're talking about doing is not being overly rigid because rigid systems tend to kind of get broken. It almost sounds like your way of doing it is not so much to have rigid rules, but rather alarms. like like a a little dashboard alarm it's like hey this alarm's been going off every day for like three weeks man that's that's too long i gotta do something about it and so yeah i yourself have a little bit of room but Mm -hmm. have the alarm keep going off
1: yeah and and that's the i really like that idea of the alarms and you know, like the, on the car, you've got the engine, the engine lights on, you know, and there are different types of alarms, right? Some are more severe than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, yeah, I, I, we don't want a system that's tyrannical where it, it, it does, it loses its purpose and benefit, you know, it needs to be working for us. And, um, and so sometimes it helps uh, see things, you know, I, um, I think a lot of, a lot of our struggles that we go through, we, we all go through them, but I think part of it is knowing quickly when we're facing um, a problem to see the problem quickly and then be able to respond to it quickly. Um, so instead of, like you said, instead of waiting three weeks, if I can have an alarm that tells me that right away and, uh, and adapt within a few days, that's a lot better than three months, you know? Um, but the fact that I do it at all is, is a win. So even if it took me three months, that's okay. You know, that's a, that's a stepping stone.
3: (laughs) Do you have sort of a review review process? You keep yourself through like a a nightly review on how the day went or weekly, what is your, what is your way of having an alarm? Yeah. So,
1: um, so time, time is probably the big one, you know, um, having, when, when am I starting and ending my day? um, I have a, you know, for my work, I do bill hourly and I do batches of, of hours. So usually it's batches of 10 hours. And so I have a, I have a goal in terms of hitting my annual income goal. I have a certain amount of income I need to earn each month and a certain amount of income that I need to earn each day. So my, my goal, my financial goal, and then I have a time boundary. How many, how many hours am I willing, do I want to work per week to, to accumulate that amount? Right. And so each day I have a number of hours that I'm trying to get to, to, to hit those goals and stay within my boundaries and so that, that's really my, my focus metric, my primary thing. And, um, and then, you know, my start and end date, or my start and end time for each day is is another one. And then my, you know, I don't work on Saturday or Sunday right now. Um, there might, you know, talking about rigid rigidity, there might be a Saturday where clients like we got to launch a website. And it's like, okay, let's, we can do that. Let's, let's plan that out. Um, another thing that I do, and this is also really helpful is I take off one day each month during the, during a work day. So this would be next week, next Tuesday. Usually it's like one of the last days of the month. And essentially what I do is I, I plan my month to work, be able to get everything done that I need to get done without, how, without that day. And then that day is just like a me fun day. So I might play games or go see a movie or eat out or meet with a friend or whatever, but it's, it does two things. One, it, it's, it's a, it's an um, awesome, a milestone or an ops or an obstacle or, a, or an opportunity to kind of look forward to like this is something fun to do that I sort of reward but it's also like I better get my stuff done so when I have that day I'm not like thinking about work you know <laughs> so it's a dual motivating uh, ritual is maybe a good way to put it um, so does that, does that answer your question
3: yeah that's great thanks yeah
2: have you heard of Atwood's law He says that anything that can be built in JavaScript eventually will be built in JavaScript. And that includes mobile apps. You can build awesome mobile apps and Apple TV and other apps with React Native. Come check us out every week as we talk about some of the ins and outs of building mobile apps with JavaScript and with React on React Native Radio. You can find it at reactnativeradio.com. I've
0: actually got a question for you that it's taking things in a slightly different direction, but something you said earlier... Piqued my interest in terms of the marketing side of things so you were talking about how you you are marketing rapidly putting out three episodes a week of your podcast and then you hit capacity and you've had to scale it back to one once a week now one of the rules (laughs) you hear all the time in marketing circles is that you have to be consistent and I think that this idea of being consistent works really well for a larger company that can be consistent but when you're freelancing this idea of consistency can be really tough because you hit capacity and then all of a sudden you've got you've just got too much work and something has to give but at the same time like you're you consult in marketing (laughs) and you're doing that same thing so I'm wondering what is the trade-off between being consistent having an episode that comes out every Tuesday at exactly 3 p.m. versus um, being more flexible around your own capacity—is there are there major drawbacks in doing it the second way, or does it is it better for freelancers? How, how is that working?
1: Yeah, so I definitely agree that consistency is a huge factor. There's a compounding effect of doing something regularly over and over over time. Um, But I also am a believer and in in some cases it may trump the consistency and the idea of having a library. So um, if I publish 20 episodes and I could either do that all at once or over 20 weeks, you know, there is a benefit to publishing all 20 right away because of SEO, um, I can still email them out once a week. You know, I, there's no limitation on how I promote them. So, um, but they're done, you know, so I could even schedule them out, um, over 20, 20 weeks, if I wanted to do that. Um, but I, I, do as a sort of an, as the SEO specialist, I know the value of having a library of content. And I know that time helps increase the value of that library and get indexed on Google and whatnot. And I also, that content can be shared and reshared on different channels. So, um, so there is, there is that aspect of it. Um, the cons- but again, there is something to the consistency in terms of, um, having an audience and staying with them and growing, but I think as a freelancer, as in terms of that being something that helps me, you know, get new clients, um, what I found is that um, it's helpful to remind people that we exist, that we're alive, that we're still doing work, you know. Um, and, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a new thing. It doesn't have to be a new piece of content that we put up there, or even even our own. You know, it could be somebody else's that we're sharing. So I, I'm, a, I, you know, I had, I've had clients that you know I've stayed connected with on LinkedIn, and I'm just staying active on LinkedIn with different in different ways, and they just keep seeing me. And then a year later, they're like, "Okay, let's work together." You know, so um, so it's there's there's benefits and um, and challenges with either. I do think. Um, if you do launch a bunch of stuff and then you have a long gap of time and then you launch it again and you have a long gap of time, it is harder to build. But again, there's, if you still, if you create the type of content that's more evergreen, then you have a library that's worthwhile, you know, that can overcome some of those gaps. Um, and, and the idea is that you you do that enough that you get to the point where you can make, have that type of consistency um, or the resources to to equip that so is that helpful or is that
0: yeah that makes perfect sense and to be honest that's what I've been doing as well I mean that just seemed more natural to me and so I've always struggled with this idea of you have to publish at exactly the same time every week because I've gone for the library approach yeah so I've got uh I, I've got about 150 different blog posts on my website now yeah that's and great. they're all like really content rich type topics. And what I do now is I have a, an email that goes out every week. And even though I've read so many posts, I'm, I've kind of got them scheduled up on the email. So it was a, it was a project rather than something that I'm having to revisit every week. It was a project. We got all of this done. I was able to do it during this pandemic slowdown. I was able to write all that content. And now it's just, going out so Mm -hmm. I'm able to schedule onto social media I'm able to send it via email I'm able to send it using so one of the techniques that I use is I share my content through paid google display advertising so I'm able to have all of those being Mm -hmm. shown as display so I've got my prospects knowing that I exist all the time because they're seeing all of my articles and so for me I found that 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 library approach work really well. And like my SEO has been picking up her as a result, but um, still you do hear a lot of advice, especially when it comes to social media, podcasting, like anything that you develop an audience. They're saying it's got to be the same time every week, or you've got to have it planned out so that it's going to be really consistent. And that voice in the back of your head is hard to you kind of think, well, is is that the right context for me yes or no and i I agree it's probably not a good idea to have huge breaks between things but if you can yeah and part of it freelancers work in seasons i think yeah Yeah, like a season yeah and
1: that's uh you know season to create season to wait season to um one thing i have seen with um youtubers is exactly what you're describing is they the the kind of the the tension that they feel to post whether it's weekly or daily or monthly um it becomes tyrannical in the sense that the, it it breaks them and, and which then affects the content and so you have these youtubers that you know have these breakdowns on and they do a video about it <laughs> and so i've seen a bunch of those um but i think you know when you when your income comes from it it's it is harder so I think as a freelancer who, who blogs, who podcasts, but my income doesn't come from that. I'm in a different position than someone whose income comes from that. And it, cause it can be a lot more, I have a lot more flexibility, but if my income does come from that, then I hopefully have more resources to dedicate to it. So there's a kind of a trade-off. Um, but if my income doesn't come from it, then I can post whenever I want. And if I, you know, it's not like a client a client's paying me to, to do that episode or that article, so I can do it what I want. <laughs> I don't know. Thoughts?
0: <laughs> yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Certainly the people who are advertising as part of their show are in a really different boat. Yeah. Completely different situation because they do need to have that consistency, otherwise they're not able to show a return on investment to the mm-hmm. people that are advertising with them. Whereas if you're selling your own products or services, I think you can go with that season approach and it works yeah. pretty well in, in mm-hmm. from my experience, but um, you know, obviously I, there's people that have a different opinion on, on each side. Yeah. And, but I would also say,
1: you know, the reality is um, even if I posted once a week or every day, you know, there's only 20% even of my audience or probably less that is going to see every single thing. And so my thought is how do I get my audience to see all of it as opposed to how do I um, get all of my audience to see 20% of it, you know? And so to be more thorough, um, the consistency is not as important for that. And the consistency in creating new things, the consistency is more important and just, um, being having a process to thoroughly uh, distribute that content in different channels and, and multiple times and multiple ways. And the idea is, is not to, um, you know, get a fire hose of content that they could never consume, but it's rather to get them to consume all the content. So.
0: I couldn't agree with more with that, <laughs> especially as a freelancer, since I started putting all of my content on Google display
1: Mm-hmm. what I
0: found is I will send that content to my remarketing list. So that's the people that have already enjoyed my content in the past.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: that's I'm getting, I'm getting impressions to all of the people that matter. Yeah. And then as a result, the people that are interested in that particular topic are clicking through. So because it's a remarketing list, I'll be getting click through rates of 10, 20% on a oh, wow. new piece of content. And it's probably um, cheaper
1: than because they're, because oh, it's 10 the 10
0: cents to, a click, yeah, yeah, consent a click it's fantastic I'm getting uh, so I'm able to nurture the relationship with my prospects, my clients, yeah people who are referral partners. I'm able to maintain that relationship by having a library mm-hmm. and not worrying about scheduling it because I realized that in myself, scheduling it just wasn't working for me, it wasn't working for my personality yeah. I just couldn't feed that it's not that I'm disorganized it's just that I've got too many ideas all the time and I'm always changing things up and I get excited about things and I get into that and then I'm and then I lose interest so mm-hmm. for me having that library and then having a really good way of distributing it
1: yeah it's and, made and more that's, sense to me and that's worked yeah. for me because if someone has never heard of you never met with you they go to your website um you said how many, how many articles do you have 120
0: About 150 or so articles on my website. They're they're not going to read them all at once. (laughs) They're only going to read one or two. And then the rest of them, they'll see over time through the Google ads display.
1: Yeah. So that's probably the experience of most people that go to your website is that. So the consistency isn't as important. Um, And and it sounds like with remarketing, you've got a perfect way to, to consistently maintain that relationship. And so you're, I think that's what's cool about the idea of the kind of latching onto the principle that I talked about earlier is: if you can figure out what you're trying to accomplish, um, then you can actually find a way to do that that better fits who you are, and isn't a lot of the advice that's given it it's 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 told in a way that lacks the principle, and so when you don't take the principle with you, you're just doing a tactic, but you don't understand its purpose or its reasoning, and and we end up misapplying tactics all the time. So. So I really like what you're doing because that's a cool, clever way to to accomplish the same thing.
0: How about you, Joel? Is there anything else that you want to finish up on? Should we go to PICS?
3: Yeah, let's go on to PICS.
0: Awesome. Now, Joel, do you have any PICS? This week, what's your I idea?
3: do. I've got a very simple pick. So this is a JBL Flip 4 speaker that I got oh. a few years ago, and what what I re- it's just a simple little thing. It's kind of goofy out as a pick, but it stands up vertical, so it doesn't use up much space on the desk, and it's actually connected from top to bottom. So this thing has a surprising amount of bass, and it is 100% waterproof. Cool, which is great for for me i do occasionally go sailing and so having (laughs) a boat to be able to uh have some music stuff with me not worry about a little water that gets in the boat and tries to damage things has been fantastic and so for me this has been a a a really great speaker cool
0: i I thought you were worried about spilling coffee on it or something for a (laughs) little while there since you said it was on your desk
3: that does happen too
0: (laughs) that sounds really cool how about yourself, Jason? Do you have a pick this week?
1: yeah, um i'll throw uh, throw a couple out there. so I'm reading a book called Dr- Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond, and it's about the fate of human society. So he tracks really the last thirteen thousand years or so of human history and why have some been more successful why have some civilizations been more successful than others and and what can we learn from that? Um, so that's a, a timely book, um, because of the, you know, Guns, Germs, and Seals. So it talks about pandemics as well and how those affect, um, civilization. The other thing is an app that I use called letterboxed.com. Um, it's a letter and then B-O-X-D.com. So there's no E in the, in the end. Um, but it's a, it's a cool website or app for the phone that lets you track the movies you watch and rate, review them. And um, and then you can it's almost like a I think about it like a social media from for movie lovers. So,
3: you know, one of the things I really loved about that uh, Guns, Germs and Steel book from yeah. your pick, the, the, the whole concept that all societies think that they've come in and they've shaped the land and made it do what they need to. And Jared Steele just completely blows out of the water. Says really it's the land that shapes the people and determines what kind of society they'll form. Yeah. Uh, that was just a fantastic idea flipped on its head.
1: Yeah, the con- essentially the context influenced it more, um, and it kind of ties into the idea um, of you know standing on the shoulders of giants that that we our success and what we see is actually often more the things underneath us that we don't even know are there, <laughs> and this pandemic is actually interesting enough revealing a lot of the things we take for granted or or that were there um, that are not there or that are changing. You know, so that's I'm looking forward to finishing that book.
0: Sounds like a great book. I'm going to have to read that. <laughs> I've got so many books on the go at any given time, but always <laughs> yes. happy to add to my pile.
1: <laughs> so how well, about you? In
0: terms of yeah, in terms of my picks. So a couple of weeks ago, I told everyone that I got bitten. Well, actually, it's not a bite; it's a sting. So I got mm. stung by an inch ant, and. Uh, I, I'd been watching 72 Most Dangerous Animals of Australia with my son <laughs> and the very next day I got stung by this ant and it turns out that this ant um, is one of the ones that causes people to have heart attacks and all sorts of things like that. So I actually freaked out a bit when it happened because last time I got stung by one of these ants, it was excruciatingly itchy mm. for three weeks and it's just the kind of thing where you scratch it and it just gets worse and worse. And I was panicking a little bit, but a friend of mine, and so it it was happening. It was, it was itchy for a week. And then a friend of mine said, Oh, you're going to try this magnoplasm. So it's actually an Australian product, but I'm sure you can get something in the U S it's magnesium sulfate glycerol. It's a green. Yeah. And what it does is it actually sucks Things out of the skin, so it's actually used for splinters as well. I've okay. never heard of it before. You can use it for. I'm so sorry, everyone. My dogs just come in and shake. <laughs> um, so you actually put it on the the area that is problematic, cover it in a bandage. Twelve hours later, you take it off and do it again, and it it sucked all of the venom out of my finger, and the itch just went away. And I couldn't oh, believe wow. it. I was so happy with that because i you know i'd experienced it before last time i got stung by one of these ants i stepped on one and it was right underneath my foot and every time i walked it was just awful and this one was (laughs) on my finger so um no this this worked so if it works for splinters as well i'm thinking this is now going to be like yeah have
1: you ever have you ever watched the youtube channel brave wilderness with coyote peterson
0: no I haven't but uh, yeah we're he, we're getting into all these
1: things from uh, outside. well he he went on the sting tour where he went and got stung by different wasps that were more and more severe and he ended up on one of them he used the stuff you're talking about so oh okay I <laughs> <laughs> so never
0: know that if I get stung by <laughs> some Australian critter that I've got the right stuff so it was a good friend of mine recommended it and I'd, I'd never ever heard of it before but now it's got pride of place in my bathroom Awesome. So that's one I'm recommending. And the other thing is I mentioned before that I was reading a book by Dan Kennedy. Uh, it's actually called no BS ruthless management of people and profits. No hold, no holds barred kick, but take no prisoners guide to, Oh no, I'm doing the really getting rich one. That's the wrong one. Wrong one, wrong one. I know it is. Yeah, it is. That, that is the right one. Take No oh, okay. Prisoner's Guide to Really Getting Rich. He has very long titles. So it's no wonder that I couldn't remember exactly <laughs> what the book was called. But most... it's a really good book. It's actually really funny. Um, okay. I'm, I'm laughing along with it. I'm listening to it on audio at the moment. Is he read it or is
1: it someone else? Uh,
0: yeah. No, It's someone else is narrating it. But it's actually a really long one. It's like 10 hours. Oh, wow. But it's so funny because he's he's kind of being contrarian on on, on yeah. everything and that's it's um quite direct and a lot of the things in there are just really obvious in that he says you, know, you got to focus on profit and so you got to get rid of this and <laughs> um that, you know that's where i heard about the, the the most dangerous number is one oh uh, okay but it's a really yeah. good book i'm enjoying it and i'm laughing well, along with it too <laughs> so. well that's good i'm learning that's <laughs> <laughs> all right righty well we've done our picks and you know had a great chat thanks so much Jason for coming how can we how can we reach you again how can our audience find you
1: Yeah so if you visit my website jasonscottmontoya.com it's jasonscottmontoya.com or just Google my name Jason Scott Montoya that'll pull up um, number one um, on there I blog I've got the podcast you can check those out lots of resources about freelancing, the pandemic. Um, you can check out my, my books, um, either path of the freelancer or the jump on Amazon. They're available either Kindle or paperback. Uh, if you are a freelancer and interested, you can check out path of the freelancer.com. I've got online resources, videos. Um, I've got a toolbox um, repository of things, you know, to use, um, to help uh, navigate, um, you know, just freelancing, uh, for any, for any type of freelancer. So pathofthefreelancer.com. and, um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. And, uh, so you can find me, you know, just type, you know, look my up, my name, Jason Scott Montoya, and you'll find me on those. And, um, yeah, that's, that'll, that covers it
0: sounds like you've gone back to being really busy being on all those channels
1: Uh, (laughs) it's good to know that we can that's the nice thing about libraries I can share I can share the library and I've got I probably got close to five four or five hundred articles on there that I've been writing since 2014 so sharing it it takes like a year to reshare everything you know (laughs) so
0: fantastic yeah good strategy that that works really well great well has anyone got anyone anything else that they want to finish up with before we end today
1: i think that's it thank you so much for for having me on on the show i appreciate it it was it was fun got to share some good stuff and learn to listen and and to to you both so thank you
0: yeah thanks for having me.
2: bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn